Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, this is in the New Living Translation, says this. I'm going to read 12 through 19. It says this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because they were not yet under, or not yet, there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the, for the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads, leads to our being made right with God, even though we were guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Ooh, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your son, our, our king, our Lord, our master. We thank you, Lord, for, for sending him, Lord, and dying for us and loving us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that we know is present with us now. Lord, we know as we sense your presence and your anointing, it's the Holy Spirit inside us and among us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, lead us and guide us tonight. Lead and guide me as I speak, Lord. Lead and guide my words, my thoughts, and my tongue. Lord, I pray that, that this word would not fall on deaf ears, but it would fall on fertile ground and produce a fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Lord, I bind up every demonic extract, distraction. We take authority over the airwaves right now in Jesus' name and declare that the word of the Lord is going to go forth and once again not go back to you void and it's going to accomplish exactly what you set it forth to do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, we all make mistakes, right? Right? Sometimes we make little ones. Sometimes we make big ones. We all do good things. Well, we should do good things. Sometimes they're, they're big things. Sometimes they're little things. They're huge maybe. You know, we have, we have done things, whether they be uh, bad or good, uh, that didn't really affect us much. Matter of fact, we'll do things throughout the day. It could be a good thing, bad, but by the end of the day, it was really insignificant. You, before you even lay your head on the pillow, you might forget about it. But then there's some people, some of us that have committed one act that has changed the course of, of, of our life or the lives of others around us either in a positive or negative way. For example, let's look at some of the negative things that have happened in life to certain people. You know, maybe one bad business decision, uh, maybe a bad investment or something that has cost uh, uh, some people a company or maybe caused bankruptcy. Uh, maybe one act of unfaithfulness to, to their spouse has cost them their marriage and their family. Maybe it's one crime that was committed that has cost their freedom. Or maybe... It was the one act of suicide that has cost them their lives. I mean, that's a, that's a mistake, right? I did a memorial service Monday night for a guy that committed suicide. As many of y'all heard, y'all know my testimony, my dad committed suicide. And I believe it's a mistake. That's just a very, very horrible mistake that you, you can't 
redo, right, that you can't come back from. But then there's some powerful things that we do, or positive things, should I say. Maybe someone uh, uh, gave you or someone gave someone else a, a significant amount of money uh, to someone else or left an inheritance to a family member. Maybe you chose to follow the Lord's leading by marrying your spouse. And that one act of matrimony has changed your life for the good. I know in my case, I am blessed that the, the, the Lord's leading and my one act of marrying my beautiful bride right here on the front row has changed my life for the better. Amen? Come on, can I get a witness? You know, most of us, I thought about this, I've heard stories about two people in a car. You ever heard a story of two people in a car and they get into an accident? One person buckled their seatbelt, the other didn't. The one that didn't buckle their seatbelt got killed, the one that did. That was just one act that took a second. They buckled it and it spared their lives. The other person maybe got thrown from the vehicle and it cost them their lives. Tonight we're going to look at how Adam's one sin brought sin into the whole world. And then how Jesus is one act of righteousness. His act brought sin and death. And we're going to look at some more through Romans 5. Uh, it brought sin into the world. And how Jesus' one act of righteousness brought grace, life, and forgiveness to many. Amen? We're also going to look at, it's going to be three parts. Adam's act of sin, Christ's act of righteousness, and then what our one thing is. And that what the one thing we must do. So tonight's message, I'm calling tonight's message one-on-one. One-on-one. On one. Matter of fact, I told Pastor Kelly before we came out here, I said, man, I'm calling this message one-on-one. On one. I said, I'm going to be showing clips of Jordan and Bird in the NBA finals from back in the day. He was like, really? I was like, no, man, I'm just joking. He's a big, he's a big NBA fan. So he's like, oh, man. So I got him kind of excited for nothing. But I just thought about Matter of fact, and again, I can't, speaking of my bride making my life better, matter of fact, this message is actually, it comes from both me and Cassie. And one morning she was getting stirred up reading this. She's like, man, this is amazing. And she started, you know, just telling me about some stuff and jotting down some things. And then I started looking at it. I was like, man, that, that is awesome. And we started, matter of fact, that morning we sat in our house. She was getting stirred up from this scripture. And I was like, man, that would be a, you know, as a pastor, I'm always thinking like, that would be a great message, you know. And I'm like, we could call it one-on-one. She's like, ooh, that's good, you know. So actually, this message is actually comes obviously from the Lord, but was stirred up for, by, by my wife first and then me and then just took it. So she helped me prepare this message tonight. Come on, give it up for my wife one more time. The Bible says to give honor where honor is due, right? And I definitely want to honor my wife. So let's first look at Adam's one act of sin. Adam is both the name of the original man and also the Hebrew word that means human. So when you see Adam, God named him Adam for a purpose, but it means human. The, the scripture emphasizes the solidarity of Adam with the human race. In other words, they are one and the same. Are y'all following me? From that Hebrew word, we understand that Adam represents all people. That's why Paul's making it clear in Romans that his one act brought sin into the whole world. He represents the human race. So let's look at what entered the world when Adam committed this sin? Romans 5.12, and we're going to just kind of go back over some of these scriptures I read. Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, of course, sin entered the world. So we know the first thing was sin. When he sinned, sin entered into the world. And we were all born into sin. Verse 19 says, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. We uh, all were born into sin and became sinners because of what happened, the fall in the garden. Now listen to what Paul said just a couple of chapters earlier. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's why we get in trouble every time we try to compare ourselves to somebody else. When you set your standard to someone else, that, that's, you're, set, you're, you're looking at the wrong standard. 
well, you know, I'm a good person because I don't, I've never murdered like this guy's murdered. And this guy has raped. And this guy has committed armed robbery. And this guy has done this. Okay, yeah, you're better than that person. But listen, if you ever find yourself doing that, jot down Romans 3.23. Because it says we all sin and fall short of God's glorious standard. So if you want to compare yourself, saints, I love you. That's the standard we got to compare ourselves to. And we all fall short, right? Paul makes it clear. Paul makes it clear. You know, the word sin, most of us know this. Maybe you don't. I don't want to assume. The word sin means to miss the mark. It means to miss the mark. And I begin to think about this. Any of you that are, that are into firearms, you know this, especially like with a rifle and a scope. A, a scope on a rifle, you can sight a rifle in. But a, but a rifle and a scope has a tendency to, to, to uh, uh, get off, get off, you know, from its accuracy. Like, for example, if you bump the scope, if you bump it when you're moving it or whatnot. Or I found out as, as, as I um, got a rifle a few years ago that certain guns for some reason, like certain bullets. So you can shoot, you can be shooting at a target and shoot a bunch of different uh, bullets and, and it'll be, it'll miss the mark. There's a certain uh, bullet it may like. But so every once in a while, you have to recite in your rifle. You have to go to a shooting range and you have to sight your rifle in. Whether you bumped your scope or maybe there's a different, maybe it's not clean, but that, that thing's gonna have a tendency year after year to miss the mark. Well, you see, for, because of Adam's sin, we were born with the tendency to disobey and rebel against God, as we just read in verse 19, right? He said that he disobeyed. We have that tendency. We're born with the tendency. And I've heard Pastor Kelly say this a few times, all of us parents, and we know this. If you don't believe that, put two, like, babies or toddlers in the same playpen and put one toy in there. You'll see that tendency. Am I right? You can see the sweetest, cutest little baby you've ever seen. If you let another baby play with their toy, that, that cute's going to get flipped on its head, right? Right? I mean, that's evidence of the fall right there. That's a baby that's not been corrupted by media or by abuse or by anything else. But there's a tendency to be selfish. There's a tendency to rebel, to be, to be nasty to somebody else. Is that right? Have you seen that too, right? That shows us that's our bent. That's a tendency is eventually we can try, we can do good, but like that rifle, eventually we're going to miss the mark again, right? So we see sin itself entered the world. Next, Romans tells us that death entered the world when sin, when Adam committed that one act of sin. Romans 5.12, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. And then verse 15, for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. Romans 5.17, for the sin of this one man, Adam caused, listen to this, death to rule over many. Caused death to rule over many. Listen, death is universal because sin is universal. I'm going to say that again. Death is universal because sin is universal. And when I'm talking about death, the word here, death, that Paul uses, it's not primarily a physical death, but it's separation from the fellowship of God. It's really, Paul's primarily talking about spiritual death. He's talking about a death that describes the eternal consequences of sin. He's not necessarily talking about our physical bodies, which is part of it. But he's talking about this separation of God, as Isaiah spoke of. It's our sins that have separated us from God. So that's the death. It's the separation and an eternal consequence of that. Not only is death physical and spiritual, but I begin to think about this today as I was preparing. And, 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 and I, I know it was the Lord when he, when he gave me a scripture to, to back it up. Like Pastor I said, if, if you got a, a point without a scripture, it's just your opinion. Amen. So I have a scripture for this point. 1 Peter 2.10 says this. It's not only death. I don't think I said it actually. It's not physical or spiritual, but it, it's, it's death to our identity. 
It's death to, we, we, Adam and Eve were created and they knew they had an identity. They were the creation of God and they were the children of God. If you look at the, the genealogy in the Bible and one of them, Matthew, one of them, it goes back and it says, Adam, the son of God. So he had an identity that, you know what, he wasn't ashamed, they were naked, they were walking around with, the cool of the, with God in the cool of the day, that word means in the presence of the Lord, and, and his identity was in God, but then when sin entered in, then it, 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 it brought death to our identity. First Peter 2.10 says this, listen, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. You see, before the act of Christ, or before, which we'll get into, we have no identity. Can you not see this in our society? Especially young among people, young people, but even adults. People in our society today are in an identity crisis. Nothing short of it. We are in an identity crisis. Even it, even we, we have to continue to work. It, it, it creeps in even to the church. Matter of fact, just recently I heard Dr. James Dobson say something that that made total sense. And he said, you know, most men's identity are in their jobs. And he said, that's why if you ever want to see a man truly depressed, let, let him get laid off. When a man gets laid off, it's really hard for him. It's a blow. We see this even in the church. And I've seen it just recently around, you know, when all the, the recession started, all these layoffs started happening. We as believers even have to, have to fight against that, trying to not get our identity being in what we do and what we have, but in who we are. But you see, that's what happens with sin. It brought death uh, a spiritual death, a physical death, but also a death to our identity, to our purpose. Again, that's why we do the growth track. Because listen, maybe your purpose, maybe you have never, never knew your purpose. Excuse me. But maybe you knew your purpose and your purpose has died. Listen, if you come through the growth track, we, wanna, we want you to, to uh, get a new life and breathe new life into your purpose. Amen? We want you to find your gifting and breathe new life in the purpose uh, that, and the identity that God has for you. The next thing that, that happened when Adam sinned was that condemnation came into the world. Romans 5.16 says this, For Adam's sin led to condemnation. Condemnation means to declare, declare one guilty and doomed to punishment. As I said earlier, just a minute ago, that punishment has eternal consequences. Now listen, as Pastor Todd mentioned Sunday, some would say, why would a loving guy condemn anyone to hell? And by the way, I'm going to pause right here and plug this. If you did not, if you were not here on Sunday, you need to go on our website or go on the podcast and listen to Pastor Todd's message on hell, fact or fiction. It was, how many of y'all were here? It was a powerful message. Again, many people got saved. And just to love our pastor's heart to preach straight, but also to see his heart of compassion at the end, weeping over, over the reality of hell. Amen? So if you have not, I encourage you, go listen to that message. But he mentioned that. You know, people ask that often. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Well, first of all, they're asking the wrong question. But the truth is, the Bible says he doesn't. He, he doesn't want to send people to hell. The, the, the hell was not created for us. It was created for the devil and his demons. Again, Pastor Todd broke that down Sunday. But I just want to reiterate this because of what it says in Romans, that condemnation entered the world. But that's not God's desire. 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10 says this. The Lord isn't really being slow about his purpose as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent. He doesn't want anyone to be condemned or to be destroyed. 
He wants everyone to come to repent, which this transitions into our next uh, point is that, listen, he made a way for us. See, sin entered the world. And so he knew that. So, again, he interjects his son, his only begotten son, into the world. He made a way. I was reading, again, John 3, John 3, 16. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son. Whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But then he goes on to say that those that don't believe are condemned already. Really, people condemn themselves to hell because they have rejected the provision that God has given, which is Jesus Christ, our master. So he's made a way, and we see his heart. This is God's heart right here. In 2 Peter, is that he's being patient. He's not being slow to his, he's being patient because he wants, he don't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to come to repent and know him. Amen? So as we look at Adam's one act of sin, let's transition into now Christ's one act of righteousness. Remember, one on one. One act to one act. Romans 5, 18 through 19 says this. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Come on, that's the good news. Like we say, there's, there's good news. You can't have good news unless there's bad news. We talked about the bad news first, now let's talk about the good news. Christ's one act of righteousness refers to his death on the cross. A righteous act because Christ chose to die in obedience to the Father's will. So just as look, we looked at what sin produced and how what sin caused to enter into the world, let's look at what Christ's righteous act brings to us. The first thing we see here in Romans is grace, is grace. Because of this one act, we get grace. Romans 5.15, for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace. Amen? See, grace is undeserved kindness and favor. It's getting what we don't deserve. You see, he took the punishment. We were supposed to be punished. We were supposed to be the one that, 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 that God eternally uh, condemned and whatnot. But he took the punishment, and then we get the grace. We get everything we were talking about. So we get grace. Listen to what Acts 15, 11 says. We believe that we are all saved the same way. Listen, this goes back to comparing. Don't compare yourself to others because, look, the Bible makes it clear. We are saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is undeserved kindness and favor. And we are saved only by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you got to be careful. When you get saved, to, to start uh, uh, being critical of other people, especially lost people. Don't, you know, be, or, or like get, you know, uh, man, where you feel holier than now. You feel like you're better than this person. Listen, 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 listen. None of us deserve to be saved. None of us. At all. None. With a capital N and an exclamation point. It's all by undeserved grace. Because if Jesus is one act, the, the, the obedience on the cross, he extended his grace to us. And, and that grace is, again, giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, right? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And so what are some of the, the other things that have entered through this one righteous act? And it all falls under grace. Well, the next thing that Romans tells us, it's forgiveness. It is forgiveness. Romans 5.15 For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Man, the gift of forgiveness. Man, Christmas is going to be here before we know it. We exchange gifts. Man, 
Isn't the greatest gift we can ever get from God is his forgiveness. Right? You know, some of us in this life, with our earthly relationships, we beg for forgiveness. We hope and pray somebody will forgive us. But man, God graciously gives us the gift of forgiveness. He forgives us. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, again, people, when you look at God and, and the part because God is, he, he's, he's just. So if, if, if we sin, if we continue to live on in the sin that, that Adam brought into the world in the fall, you know, and we, he's a just God. So if, if a, a just judge has a, a murderer in front of him, he can't just let him off because he's like, I'm having a good day today and, you know, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling gracious, so I'm just going to let you off uh, even though you murdered this person. Nah, you just got to do a little bit of community service, we'll let you off. What, what would the media and you think about a judge? He would be a corrupt judge, right? He didn't hand down justice. So God does have to be just when it comes to that. But he's, the good news again, bad news, good news. The good news is he's also just that if we ask and we repent of our sins, he's faithful and he's a just God to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What leads to the next thing in Romans tells us that through Christ's righteous act, we get a right relationship with God. We get to come into relationship with him. Romans 5.18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Remember, Adam's sin caused death, which is, really means separation from God. Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with the Lord. You know, this is what Paul means when he says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It means we're in right standing. We're in right relationship with, with, with him. Amen? You know, when I first got saved, I, had a, I, I, didn't, I didn't fully understand this. And, and some, a lot of y'all probably heard me, and I've used this story before, but as I was preparing, I thought about it again. Because this word righteousness, as a young believer, I mean brand new believer, I didn't fully grasp what Paul was saying when he said we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And right here it says that we get a right relation. That's how the New Living Translation says it. A lot of other translations will say righteousness. And one day I was uh, you know, working and, uh, at my boss's house actually and we were working on something and he's, he's still one of my best friends, a great friend of mine. He actually come to know the Lord later but at this time he didn't know the Lord so he was uh, being pretty hard on me after I got saved. And we were talking about something and I said something that he deemed as not being politically correct. And so he, he started pretty much hounding me and he said, well Brandon, don't, don't you, you, uh, uh, you consider yourself a righteous man, right? And, and I, I was like, uh, yeah, I, I try to be, you know, because at that time I thought righteousness in the term that Paul's using it meant the way that I acted, my actions, right? So I was talking about one action of uh, Adam, one action of Christ. I thought my, me being righteous had to do with what I did on a daily basis. How did I act? What did I do? But Paul makes it clear it's not based on our actions. It's based on being in a right relationship with the Lord. And that's only through Jesus Christ. Again, he committed this one act of righteousness, of obedience. And then when we come in and accept the free gift of salvation, of grace, of forgiveness, we have to repent of our sin, acknowledge that we're sinners. Then guess what? Now I'm in a right relationship. I'm in right standing with him, right? Going back to my wife. If, if, if I do something to my wife and I hurt her feelings, I hurt her deeply, um, you know, 
as married couples, you know when your spouse, you're not in right relationship with your spouse, right? Right? And all the married people said, amen. amen. You can tell. You can sense it. They don't have to say anything. The classic, hey, babe, what's wrong? Nothing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, something's wrong, right? So, of course, again, going back, I need to humble myself and ask my wife for forgiveness. Once she grants me the gift of forgiveness and she forgives me, I get back into a right relationship because I did wrong by her. I offended her. I missed the mark with her. And so by me acknowledging my sin that I, I, I messed up with her, she forgives me. Now we're back in right relationship. It's the same thing on the scale with the Lord. Through Jesus Christ, we are made righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It don't mean you always do everything right, right? That's not what it means. Righteousness is I got to get everything right all the time. He didn't say you're the perfectness of God in Christ Jesus. That's probably not even a word, right, Pastor Kelly? Does that fly? Nah. He's like, nah, that, that doesn't. He was proofing something the other day in the office, and I'm like, bro, I'm offended. Why you didn't ask me to proof it? And he's, you know, it was a joke because I don't speak well, good English, as you can tell. So, But he's not saying we got to be perfect. We got to be right. Get it right all the time. It means being in a right relationship. Does that clear it up for some of y'all? I know for me it, it messed me up for a while. But in, now if somebody says, hey, you consider yourself righteous, 110% I am. And I messed up this morning. I'm still righteous because I'm in right standing with God. Amen. Amen. And it ain't me bragging, it's on him. It's the relationship that I'm in with him, of Christ. And then the, 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 the last thing that Romans shows us in here, and there's many, many things, obviously, y'all. I'm just going off of this text in Romans 5, but I love this. It's a new life. Because of Christ's one act of righteousness, we get a brand new life. Don't you love a brand new car, like Bob Barker used to say? Right? Everybody loves a new car. How about a new life? We get a brand new life. Romans 5, 18 says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Isn't it awesome that we get a fresh start when we start a relationship with God? We start a relationship, we get a do-over. You know, as a kid, you was playing, oh man, that's, I want a do-over. You ever used to play video games as a kid or, and, and you know, you, you messed up maybe a sporting game or something, your buddy's blowing you out and you're like, hey, let's start all over again. It's like, well, dude, I'm beating you by 50 points. I ain't starting. Come on, man, give me a, give me a do-over. Let's, let's play a new game, you know. You walk by the thing and accidentally kick it and, oh, look, it got stuck. We got to start over, you know. <laughs> Thankfully, we get a brand new life. We get a brand new life. I don't know about y'all. My life is nothing like it used to be. My life is nothing. I don't, I don't think the way I used to. I don't act the way I used to. Uh, I, I don't feel the way I used to before 2002 when I gave my life to Christ. My life is totally, the way I think now, the way I process things, the, my, my purpose, my motive, you know, it's totally different. I have a brand new life. Again, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this means that anyone, now he did say everyone, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but anyone who belongs to Christ, so it shows it's not for the whole world, but anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Amen. I love that. The old life is gone, Right? You're not, just, you're not just borrowing this new life and it's going to run out and you got to go back to your life. No, it's gone. It's obsolete. 
It doesn't exist anymore. That's why we have baptism. You know, symbolism of baptism is that when you go into the water, it's symbolic of your old man dying. It's gone. It's a symbolism. And as you come up out of the water, you're being raised to new life with Christ. Amen. That's why baptism is so powerful. We see people, you know, shaking under the power of God and the anointing, people crying, people praying in the spirit. And you just, you always sense a sweet atmosphere in here, a sweet presence during baptism because it's symbolic of, listen, that old person's dying and the new person is coming to life. We get a brand new life, y'all. Amen. Every day. That new car is going to run out of that new car smell after a while, right? Right? But our new life always has the new life smell to it, right? We might struggle. We might hit road bumps. You know what? But still, I'm not the same person. Of course, I don't look the same either as I did. But people that see me like, man, matter of fact, I did memorial service Saturday. I saw a guy that I hadn't seen literally in Probably 15, 20 years. The last time I saw him was before I got saved. And I saw him just like, man, look at you. You know, look at, and it was just like, I heard you were doing the service and everything. But listen, I'm not the same guy he knew back then. Matter of fact, when I met him, I was 18 years old, messed up, busted, and disgusted. And, I'm, you know, here, years later, he sees me. And it's just like, man, so good to see after the service. He's like, man, I'm proud of you and everything. You know, and it, it was the new life in Christ that he was seeing, right? So that's the one act of, of sin that Adam committed and then the one act of righteousness that Christ committed. So I want to wrap it up tonight, land the plane, and stay with the one, one-on-one between the first Adam and Christ is even called the second Adam. But now what's the one thing that we must do? What's the one thing that we, not as obviously there's many things, but it's really under one umbrella. And I'll show you uh, Old Testament and New Testament passage. David, the man of God, says this in Psalm 27, 4. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. You know, a house, he says, I want to live in the house of the Lord forever. A house represents where you live, right? It represents where you live. So what David's saying is, I want to live in your presence all the days of my life. I want to live in your house, in your presence. Oh, that's the one thing I ask. You know, David could have, could have, he, he was a political leader. He was a, he, he, he had all these different decisions he had to make. He had people coming after him. But he said, the one thing I ask of you, Lord, this one thing I seek, that I can live in your presence. The one thing David sought the Lord for most was to continue to be in his presence and get closer and closer to him Every day. I was that, and that's why, again, going back to righteousness, that's why I believe God called him a man after his own heart. We know he messed up. He committed adultery, he had somebody killed, but yet God still called him a man after his own heart. Why? Because that was David's heart. He had the one thing. He was after God's heart. He was a man after his heart. That was that's that's his life right there. That's his heartbeat. Is I want to know you, I want to live in your presence, I want to get closer to you. And it wasn't just David. Jesus confirms that this is what we should be doing as well, right? A lot of us know the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus goes to the house of these two sisters one day, and, and, and as it was the custom, which is our custom usually, even in, from the Jewish culture over 2,000 years ago to the Cajun culture today, whenever somebody comes to your house, what do you usually ask them? Want something to eat? That's right. Can I fix you something to eat? You know, like most of our grandmothers, when they go over, they say, hey, if you leave here hungry, what? 
It's your own fault, right? That's just culture. So Mary and Martha was the same way. Hey, Jesus, you want something to eat? So, so Martha's over here. She's in the kitchen. She's getting the rice and gravy ready. She's, she's, she's making her roux. She's getting everything going, right? And uh, she's doing all this work. And Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus is teaching her, spending time with her. She's literally in the presence of the Lord. So Martha comes. She gets frustrated. She tells Jesus, Jesus, look, I mean, wh- wh- my sis, I'm doing all this work myself. Why? You're, my sister's not helping me. And you're not even saying nothing. And so we'll pick it up in Luke 10, 41, says this. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, some translations say Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is, listen to this, this is so powerful. There is only one thing, only one thing worth being concerned about. This is the words of our Lord himself. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Paul, you know, David said the one thing, Jesus said there's only, he even stresses it. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it won't be taken away from her. Mary was sitting at his, Jesus' feet and he said this was the one thing, the only thing worth being concerned about. You know what that tells me, y'all, because she was worried about so many details. You know what that tells me? We worry about the wrong things. We worry about the wrong things. We're worrying about all this stuff here and there, all the details of our lives. And he said the one thing you should be worried about, we should be concerned with, is how much we're getting in the Lord's presence. How close are we getting to the Lord? Is my relationship growing with the Lord? Or is it stagnant or is it dying? Some people say that if you're not growing, you're dying. So he said there's so many things that you're worried about, but you should be concerned about one thing. Mary has discovered it won't be taken away from her. Instead of being concerned about getting close to the Lord, we worry about all the troubles of our lives. Now, I saw something interesting as I read Psalm 24. I want to read 24, I'm sorry, 27 verses 4 and 5. And I just love when the Lord does this and correlates two scriptures from the Old and the New Testament. Look at it again, and we're going to add verse 5. Psalm 27 Four and five. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Verse five. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in a sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Verse five doesn't say he will conceal me from troubles. He said, but he will conceal me when troubles come, right? So you see, if we would be more concerned about being in his presence, we would be less concerned when troubles come. Come on, let me say that again. If if we would be more concerned about being in his presence, we would be less concerned when troubles come because troubles will come, right? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You know, David saying, hey, when troubles come, you know, and he says, he says uh, not only that, he goes on to say that uh, he will hide me, he will place me on a, out of reach on a rock that's like a, a safe place. You see, even when the troubles of the world come, when we spend time with the Lord, when we're, when we're in God's presence, and it's not just, listen, as we were singing a song, I was reminded of something the Lord showed me. It's not just like in church or in that quiet time. It's a state of your soul. 
A closeness to God is a state of your soul. You know, like I, I worship to that song sometimes and uh, no place I would rather be but here in your love, here in your love. And, you know, in the flesh, sometimes I'm like, man, I would, I, I like to be here. You know, some of the things I enjoy doing, man, I'd like to go here and do that. And, but I love your presence, Lord. And the Lord just recently showed me, and I was sharing this with my wife, that, again, being in the Lord's presence or being here in his love doesn't mean like here at church or here in that prayer room where I like to go or here in that rocker. It's a state of your soul. So how's your soul? See, if our greatest concern is to is a checkup on our soul, then again, when these troubles come, we will be less rattled. Instead of trying to worry about all the details and work everything out ourselves, you know, we would just, you know what, Lord, I'm going to just continue to get as close to you as I can and when the storm comes, when the, when, the, when the flood waters rise, literally and figuratively, I know some of you on here are still recovering from the flood, still have a long road ahead of you. You know what? You won't be as rattled because you're tapping into the presence of God, to the vine. Listen, last time Fabian Gretsch was here, uh, the missionary to Iraq, he was here back in August. He said something that was powerful. And I think it was his partner in Iraq that said it. Speaking of Martha and Mary, some of y'all might remember this. He said this. He said, we need to be Marys that work, not Marthas that worship. Let me say that again. We need to be Marys that work, not Marthas that worship. In other words, we need to be always worshiping, having a posture of worship, and then we get our work done. Not always working all the time and then just stop every once in a while to worship, right? Nathan says that all the time. He says we should come to the house of God worshiping, not come to the house of God to worship, right? We should be coming here worshiping, then we get here, we already in an attitude of worship, and we just keep this thing going corporately, right? So we need to be Marys that work, not Marthas that worship. In closing, as we talk about this, this is the one thing. Now, obviously, in that, we need to pursue the Lord. But in, in that comes the overflow. Yes, we need to witness. We need to evangelize. We need to pray for the sick. We need to do all of those things. We need to serve. But you know what? All of that comes out of an overflow of, of, of being in love with the Lord, right? That's when, the, that's when you're going to be most effective in all those areas, Myself, preaching, teaching, if, if, if I'm just going in the Bible just to get a sermon, my sermons are going to be flat. I love how T.D. Jake says, I, I, I read every day. I have a personal time with the Lord every day. And so, like he says, that I read, and when I t- eat something that tastes good, I feed it to you, right? I'm not going in the Bible looking for a sermon, what I'm going to, you know, I'm every day, because I need the Lord in my everyday life, especially as a pastor, as I'm, as I'm presenting the word of God and listening to what God, I got to be constantly filled up. And then the Lord points his finger. This was honestly like this. This was, I don't know, weeks, maybe a month or so ago. I hadn't preached on a Wednesday in a while. We were talking about this and this started developing. I took some notes and then I went back to it this morning and began to, to bring it out. So you know what? It, it, it has to be an everyday thing. So our effectiveness going back in ministry has to come from an overflow of being a Mary sitting at his feet. I'm sure when Mary finally did get up and maybe after dinner went and washed the dishes, she had a good attitude about it. Mary, Martha might have still been yapping over there. I can't believe you just helped me now. You should have been helping me before. And Mary's probably just like singing about Jesus. Like, oh, all right. It's all right. That's like, give me that plate. It's all right. It's okay. She probably washed them dishes with a great attitude because she'd been sitting at Jesus's feet all night. Come on. Amen. So the first step to getting close to the Lord is first, again, as we talked about, one act of sin, the act of righteousness, is first, you, 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 to, to get close to the Lord, you have to first come to know the Lord. You can't get close to somebody you never met before, right? 
You know, we, we know people on, the, on TV and the internet and stuff, but if you never met that person, you can't get close. I couldn't get close to my wife till I met her and started spending time with her. I knew who she was and, and all that kind of stuff, but I had to first be introduced to her and then start spending time with her. It's the same thing. We must first, if you're not right with the Lord, you need to repent of your sins. Again, we spent the whole first part of saying we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. We're born into this world with a sinful bent, a sinful nature. And if you have not, you need to repent of your sins and surrender life to Christ. Remember, both Adam and Jesus Christ committed a single act whose influence extends to all the people that they represent. See, Adam represents all people. You remember the Hebrew word means human. He represents all people. But people must receive the gift of salvation and righteousness to represent Christ. We all represent Adam, but we have to accept God's free gift of salvation and repent to represent Christ or to be represented. We talked also about the new life earlier. But again, not everyone will experience that new life that Jesus won through his death on the cross. Not everybody will. Some people would go, will go on. Matter of fact, I had my 20-year class reunion that we were planning on going to, but we didn't. We only had one window. It was, actually, it was Friday night was the game. It was at Wildgate Cookout Saturday. They had a little thing at the park, and uh, we had my son's uh, a football game that morning, so we couldn't make it. And, you know, just seeing some of the pictures on Facebook, and it's just like, man, people are still living that life. Not everybody experiences the same, this new life, right? You must repent, believe and receive it. Amen. And I want to close with this, with this poem that I read. It says this, an act of restoration, an act of love, an act of reconciliation from only the one above, an act rooted in selflessness, an act based in truth, an act full of righteousness to mend the lives of me and you. Please stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you tonight. We, we've we've gone over and I, and I, I've done the best that what the Lord has given me to make it crystal clear. Again, y'all, we've all sinned. Romans three twenty three. We've all sinned and fall God short of God's glory. And 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 as we looked at the things that sin, Adam's one act of sin, brought into this world, and it was death, decay loneliness, shame. I mean, there's so many other things. I, I just went over what was in that one chapter of Romans, a part of that chapter. Shame. You may be feeling shame. You may be feeling guilty. You remember condemnation means being, being, you know, declared guilty. So if tonight you say, Brandon, you know what? I want to get close to the Lord, but I don't know him. I've never met him. And I have been comparing myself to other people, but, but you know what? When I compare myself to God Almighty, the creator of the heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, I fall short. I know I'm not right, and I need to get right. If you say, Brandon, you know what? If that was, what if it's your memorial service someone's doing next week? I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just asking. Every night, every time I do a memorial service, I present the gospel. Tonight, we're not promised tomorrow, y'all. My memorial service can be next week. You never know. If it's yours, are you prepared for eternity? Whatever head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Brandon, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm right with the Lord. I need to get right with him. I need to repent of my sins. I want to accept this act of righteousness, of grace and forgiveness. I want to make sure I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord. If that's you, just lift up your hand. You say, Brandon, I'm not sure. I'm not sure and I need to get right. I see your hand right here, young lady. I see another hand over here. Anybody else? Young man on the side right here. Praise God. Anyone else? Come on, we're going to wait for y'all. It's a blessing. I'm sorry we're a few minutes over, but it's, it's worth souls being saved. Amen.
It's worth it. Anybody else? Come on. You know what? We, we might be a few minutes over, but time's running out. If, there, if there's anybody else, a few hands are up. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Say, Brandon, I need to get right with God. Okay, for everyone that raised their hands, listen, we're going to pray this prayer with you. And I just want you to pray with your heart. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. But it starts with acknowledging that I have sinned and I need to repent of that sin. So let's pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned before you. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I thank you, Lord, for dying for me. I thank you for extending grace. I thank you for extending forgiveness. Lord, I'm sorry for being rebellious. I'm sorry for disobeying you. Lord, I want to live for you. I make you my Lord and Savior. Give me the grace. Give me the strength to walk with you, to live with you, to be in a relationship with you all the days of my life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap for what he's done. Amen. Hey, listen, y'all, for, for those of y'all that raised your hand and you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a card in the pew right in front of you. It says on the top, I made a decision. Do me a favor. Fill that card out before you leave and either come bring it to me or my wife on, on, on your way out or you can drop it off in the info center in the lobby on your way out. For everyone else, let me go ahead and pray a blessing over you tonight. Father, I pray over everyone here as they leave. Father, I pray you watch over them, protect them, keep them safe. Lord, help them to keep the main thing the main thing. I pray that all of us is one thing would be to, to, to live in your presence, to seek you, to get closer to you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Y'all have a wonderful evening.